0: you know, I want to go over and be one of those R&B dudes, you know, like making a living, you know, sleeping in all day.
1: Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast, Here's your host, Scott Cowan. So my guest today is Robert Stewart. Robert is a longtime Seattle area musician, and he played in a band that I saw him in called the Robert Stewart Band with a mutual friend of ours named Michael Wansley. There's your introduction. That's true. You get to fill in everything else.
0: Oh, great, great. Well, yeah, the the Robert Stewart Band was a... um, Lack of uh, imagination is how we came up with that name. We just couldn't... Uh, I was
1: going to ask. That seemed pretty creative. I mean, no. Just yeah, kidding. I know.
0: Well, <laughs> and we we tried to kind of market it as the RSB, and it could be different things, random, syphilitic, you know, whatever. You know, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but basically, we were just sort of playing around town and doing a lot of soul covers and trying to kind of do some originals that fit that vein. And, you know, so... And then, uh, of, of course, it kind of... Uh, you know our are we were kind of winding down as as some other things started winding up for wands and other people, so
1: right well, um, let's talk about your career. so how long have you been uh exclusively earning a living as a musician?
0: well, sometime around ninety nine right around the turn of the century ninety nine two thousand i um i I was working at this place as a warehouse manager. I think I got the job in like ninety seven And so it was right at the, I was definitely looking for a job that I felt like I could like leave because I was in the beginning stages, but still needed to work during the day. And so I think it was within a couple of years that I kind of reached a threshold where A, I was just sort of burnt out on working and not sleeping and and making enough money at night that I could kind of like take a step off the cliff, you know? Sure. And so uh, I went to him and I said, you know, and I agonized for like a month or two, like, well, what should I do? You know, I can't. You know, what I really wanted was to just go down to a, a really chill schedule doing the one part of the job that I actually liked, which was just shipping the packages all over. You know, was doing like some international shipping and stuff, stuff that was sort of interesting to me. But I didn't mm-hmm. think I could ask for that. You know, like I thought, oh, well, how how dare I ask for that? You know, I should just quit. And, um, you know, so but then I finally said, you know, look, I either in two weeks, I either want to be done here. Or I want to be doing this. And so they said they went for it. And that allowed me to work there for a few more years with just, uh, um, you know, just working a couple hours a day. But so, um, but interestingly enough, like once uh, I've got four kids, but once my new, the two younger kids arrived, it was actually costing me about five bucks a day to go to that job. And uh, so then I had to let that. go. By the time you
1: factor in daycare and gas and everything. Right, right. So.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. So, right. and so basically what I was doing was um, I'd come out of like the Seattle scene. I was in a band called Paisley Sin and another group called Spoonbender, Bender. And that uh, was like around during all the, you know, 90, 91, 92. And, um, right. and during that time I was playing at places like the color box and the central down in Seattle, but then I'd wanted, neither of those places served liquor in those mm-hmm. days. And so, you know, if you wanted to drink, you had to go to these other bars, Doc Maynard's or uh, the, Um, I can't even remember the new Orleans. We went to the new Orleans a lot to get a drink and there was bands over there, man, like R and B bands, like making money, making a living, you know? And as I was like, sort of reading the tea leaves of what was going on for me and our band and stuff, I just was drawn to, to what these guys were doing that I was seeing during my breaks, you know? And I said, Oh man, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to go over and be one of those R and B dudes, you know, like making a living, you know, sleeping in all day. And, um, (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of just, you know, sort of poked around, found my way into a few of those bands. And then, like I said, by about 99, 2000, I was able to kind of shift gears and and uh, try to make that the focus for me. All right. Financially. So
1: a couple of questions for you. One's a statement and then the other's a question. So when you say turn of the century, damn, yeah. that makes us feel oiled. <laughs> It yeah, it yeah. does. I got to yeah. say, I got to, I just like, oh. Yeah,
0: sorry. <laughs> but, sorry to do uh, It's <laughs> just like, uh it wasn't that long ago. But the question I have is that, and, and so it was a long time ago. Well, right. And, you know, I got to say, man, like, as I, I don't know whether it's a product of, of age or whatever, but like, everything seems like it was four or five years ago to me. Like, even oh, yeah, stuff no. that was 30 years ago. So it's like, time is all messed up for me. And so- Turn I, of the know, I totally get it. I, I love history, yeah. so maybe that's where that comes from. I, it doesn't yeah, no. doesn't hit me the same way. But go yeah, ahead. Like
1: when when Wansley and I were in college together, that was forty years ago. Right, right. And I remember that like it was forty hours ago.
0: Well, right. Like oh well, that must have been eight or nine years ago, man. Oh yeah.
1: oh no no it wasn't. No, but my question is, and this is this is where my memory is. Well, there's lots of places where my memory is spotty, but Paisley Sin, I know yeah. the name and i cannot for the life of me bring up anything else other than i know the name how would yeah. you describe that band cuz i know i should know but i just don't recall
0: well we were around but not really we didn't really fit in certainly not in terms of a uh, of what was going on in terms of grunge and and uh mm-hmm. and that sort of like Let's All Try to Be Punk Rock, all of a sudden, ethic that was going on. So we were um, – but yeah, we played with – we were much more on the Alice in Chains and Mother Love Bone uh, side of it than, say, the Mud Honey, um, okay. Tad, Nirvana side of it. You know, there was sort of that polarity going on. But also, okay. with, even within that, we were much more, um, you know, sort of maybe – uh, classic rock. I mean, at that time, I was really much more influenced by the Sunset Strip bands myself. You know, like LA Guns and and Faster Pussycat and Guns N' Roses, of course. So maybe I okay. was like a couple years behind the times, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I but don't that's know where you really were
1: getting your influence from at that at that phase. So
0: that's I, kind of a. I was much more inspired and impressed by that shit than the grunge shit at the time. I've come to appreciate um, some of the grunge bands that I didn't get at first over the years, you know, just, but, but uh yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So, but
1: isn't that a bit of a, of a, sh- a leap to go from Faster Pussycat and LA Guns to
0: R&B? Well, not for me because music is music, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, like, for example, Paisley Sin in its first incarnations was during the eighties. We started in 84. And at that time I was just heavily into Prince, you know? And so all okay. my, all my contributions to the band, were, uh, funky. I was the bass player. And so, okay. um, you know, so I've been all over the map, you know, and then, and then I actually remember, man, I was walking on the Ave in the U district in Seattle, man. And I went by tower records and there was this like 16 foot tall poster of guns and roses with their just like whiskey and their cigarettes and their boots and their leather jackets, you know, and, and, um, you know, because I felt like we had come out of just a complete desert wasteland of music that, you know, kind of petered out at the end of the seventies and the eighties were just like, you know, new wave was okay. And, you know, there was definitely some great artists, but it just seemed like everything was just, uh, you know, all the cool shit that I loved about rock and roll was disappeared, you know? And so I saw okay. that poster and I was like, now that is rock and roll. And so that kind of shifted my gear and I just got more into writing uh, rock songs and, you know, Again, being inspired by that, you know, Sunset Strip okay. scene. Yeah. All right. So, but but uh, the bottom line is, music is music. You know, I mean, it's either right. good or it's not very good. You know, and those are the two genres. Sure. You know, or there maybe there's three. There's music that makes you feel something, music that makes you, you know, makes you feel good, music that makes mm-hmm. you feel bad, and music that doesn't make you feel anything. Okay.
1: And probably honestly isn't the, the the worst of those three the one that doesn't make you feel anything?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Just leaves you
1: like, oh, I just had cold oatmeal. Yeah. Right, right. Okay.
0: Or just like, yeah, okay. I what yeah, exactly.
1: So you you saw the writing on the wall then from a financial standpoint that places like the Central and um God you said Color Box. That was a name I haven't heard. In a long time. So it's, what's fun for me is when I talk to, to you guys and you're all talking about Seattle. Uh, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but he, a lot of the same venues come up. Yeah, and, sure. And, and so it's like, oh, yeah, okay, the central or or whatever. But the color box, for whatever reason, hasn't really popped up yet. So that was kind of uh, a, a refreshing. Uh,
0: well, it was not part of the, the front line, the Vanguard. It it was a product. Kind of like Rock Candy and some other clubs, it was a product, I think, of the burgeoning scene and the buzz that was going on. You know, there were clubs that mm-hmm. were there already, the Central, the Off-Ramp, you know, it was East Lake East and then it became the Off-Ramp. And uh, what, the Tractor probably and some different places. And then there were other places that popped up as, as people said, hey, we need more clubs, the market will support different mm-hmm. clubs. And so, you know, the color box I think was like a rug store or something down in Pioneer Square and, oh. and uh, you know, just opened up as because there's a need for more venues at that time. Right. You know? Right. And I don't know that I necessarily saw the writing on any wall as much as, as much as I was starting to, um, it was starting to occur to me that I might not get super rich you know that I might be one of the 97% of the bands in Seattle that wasn't going to make it hugely famous and stuff and not that I <laughs> not that I gave up on that at all but it was more just like wow here's a here's a here's a venue that I can do what I love and like I said I mean music was music to me man I had no mm-hmm. like I wasn't going over there like snooting into my cocktail about how great it was to be across the street at the color box, making nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no, not that we didn't make nothing. I mean, we made money, but, but you couldn't, you couldn't do the thing at the color box four or five nights a week in one town. You know, you can only play there every six or seven weeks and then get mm-hmm. some hunger going and build up a desire for people to see you again. Well, these right. guys were just working all over town and doing their thing and plying their trade and, I just respected that a lot, you know, and so I so, said, wow, I want to try to do that. So. so what, drop some names.
1: What were some of the names of those bands that you were respecting back then?
0: Um, well, let's see. Charles White over at uh, Larry's Green Front was badass and uh, Duffy Bishop, of course, you know, although Duffy, you know, was making serious forays into our side of the scene too. You know, she had a band with, uh, with Tommy Martin called, God, what were they called? But anyway, she was, you know, she was a a huge influence on me because, you know, in her band, you know, she had like, uh, what was those guys? Um, Anyway, I'm spacing on their names, so I won't embarrass myself. Well, It's not like it was just four years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was just four years ago, which is why I can't can't remember it, you know. But, but yeah, so not so many... um, so those were the main two, but it was much more not so much like, wow, these guys are so fantastic and and they're so popular, this one band, as much as just this world of mm-hmm. guys that you didn't even necessarily know, like, who is this band? But they're all just awesome. And it wasn't like it was earth shaking for me. I mean, they weren't doing any anything that was uh, turning my world upside down as much as just watching professionals work, you know, mm-hmm. and wanting to be um, a professional. You know, and wanting to be that, you know, take what I love doing music, but then also I don't know, just be, um, try to be good enough to like. So what?
1: What? What were some of the different? Describe some of those differences. I mean, you're calling them professionals just because they were working and they were making. Well,
0: like like for example, man, if you're going to go in with your own song. And your own 150 people who are jumping up and down to hear you, you can do whatever you want. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be in tune. You don't have to sound good in the moment. I mean, as long as you've got the right attitude and you're selling it, you know, you can, you can get away with a lot with artistic style and pizzazz and charisma, you know. But these guys, okay. you know, if they're doing Mustang Sally in some bar, I mean, it's got to be good or it's going to be pathetic. You know, I mean, you have to be good or, or it's just like, this is embarrassing for us, for everyone in the bar, you know, I mean, okay. there's nothing worse than a mediocre R and B band, you know? I mean, so you've okay. got to be, you know, just that kind of, you know, and that's just my opinion. I mean, I, what do I know, but that's just the way I perceived it and continue to perceive it as like when you strip away all the, um, not that those bands don't become popular because they certainly do, but in terms of working on a Wednesday night at some place where there's nineteen people buying drinks, um, there's there's nothing but the music. There's nothing but getting mm-hmm. it right. you know, there's nothing but mm-hmm. hitting the 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 one and being deep in the pocket and nailing the pocket. you know because mm-hmm. if 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 not, if you don't have that, then the hundred and seventeen dollars they give you and the free drinks, it kind of, the luster comes off of that really quick, you know? So for me anyway, in that realm of, of making a living like that, it was the pursuit of excellence. Not that you would grab it or not that you would get it, but you would be just trying to, for me anyway, I would just be trying to get better, you know, better at your craft. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then make it a little so, scr- scratch too. So, so
1: when you, when you moved over to the R&B side, what were some of the the, the acts that you started performing with?
0: Um, well, definitely Duffy Bishop. She helped me out a lot and gave this one little blues band. I was in a lot of little shows that we got to play and, um, mm-hmm. it was much more, it was much more venues. Like the new Orleans was really good to us. My really good friend, Park Olson, who was passed away, sadly, but great musician, great guitar player. Um, he had kind of an a a a connection to, to gay, who was the owner of the new Orleans. And so she gave us a bunch of breaks and let us play down there. And then, pardon me. And then that led, you know, to playing over at Larry's and, uh, and different places. (laughs) Although, uh, we had some trouble at Larry's, but, but, uh, you know, and then, and then what that leads to is, you know, the real money is in the private events, you know, Mm -hmm. so some people come in and they're like, Oh my goodness, you're so wonderful getting married next year and can you you know and then yes we can come and then it costs a lot of money for for you to come to a private event and play and so so i guess that's the thing it's more uh, more venues outside of duffy bishop i can't really think of anyone it's not the same on the original side it's definitely like connecting with this band and getting them to let you open and then you you know you gain some things but i think it's a little different or at least it was for me in that realm in the okay. r and side
1: well, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions and we're gonna break this up today a little differently. Sure. So back then, back in the the day, what was your favorite venue to play at?
0: Oh, let's see.
1: As a as a as a performer. What um, was the 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 room that was a great room to play at?
0: Well, definitely the central. Um was great because it was a great venue. It packed out, it was long and thin and and felt like a, a rock concert. And uh, But it also it had sort of some gravitas to it, you know, that we were really proud as a member of Paisley Sin, um, especially we were, I was really proud to be like a headliner down there, to be one of the mm-hmm. bands playing Friday and Saturday nights as the main attraction. It was just like, wow, you know, not only were we pulling it off, were we like getting these people to come see us and getting the club to keep booking us. But we were actually at the central, you know, right. um, rock candy was great. Cause it was just, you know, it was built for that scene. You know, like I said, it came out of a uh, opening in the market, you know? And so mm-hmm. it was just, it was just this big, you know, concert venue off ramp, of course, was, was great. So I don't know. I mean, they were all in, in the terms of at the height of the Seattle scene, I can't even really say, I mean, the central did have that special place in terms of okay. being, being proud to be there, but they were all good. You know, I mean, the, all right. The, the, um, now the flips, the
1: flip side to that is when you went to see music being performed back in the day as a, as a member of the audience, where it was a great place for you to go see bands play?
0: Well, I think the same, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned two places yeah. in particular, the off ramp was sort of the hangout because that was like seven nights a week. You know, like Monday nights at the off ramp were incredibly cool because it was sort of like this open mic. But, you know, for better or worse, the open mic would get interrupted because there was lots of rock stars in town and they would like, oh, I want to play. And so, you know, I mean, I had it happen more than once. I was there waiting to play and got bumped by the dwarves, you know, and so. The dwarves? the dwarves. Do you remember the dwarves? The dwarves. Okay. I was I was going to say the door, wait, the doors. No, the yeah. Dwarves. By the, okay. By the, by the doors. <laughs> yeah.
1: Ray wait, Ray. Was, I thought Jim, I didn't think Jim was around then. Oh, certainly you know? not,
0: but that doesn't stop Ray Manzerick from, you know, yeah, yeah. him out on a Monday night, but you know, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that, but anyway, like, you know, so, you know, we were, we were bumped and that would happen, but that was also really exciting as an audience member, you know, like for mm-hmm. example, um, The guys from Mother Love Bones, sadly, had lost their singer. Andy Wood, who was a friend of a lot of ours, had passed away. And, you know, they auditioned their new singer on a Monday night at the off-ramp. This this little guy in this funny hat, you know, with the deep baritone voice sounded like Gordon Lightfoot and uh, to me. And I was like, damn, man, that guy sounds like Gordon Lightfoot. That's fucking awesome, you know? (laughs) And it was Eddie Vedder, of course, you know, but that was the first time. And that sort of shit would happen at the off-ramp. So... Um, and that was just Monday, you know, and then Tuesday and Wednesday that was just was, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday you'd go to the Vogue and uh you know, I remember seeing Allison Chains at the Vogue and they were hands down full stop, the best band of all those bands. I mean, in terms of like presentation when they were still a club band, Allison Chains was just for me just incredible. so I'd see you'd see them at the Vogue on a Tuesday night. And then that would just lead you in. Thursday night had a, you know, there's like industry night at, you know, the Vogue had this crazy, all the rock stars come and hang out. And they didn't have live music, but there was just a scene every night. But so the off-ramp especially, and then the Central, of course, again, I'll go back to that. You know, I remember I first in, Sin first started playing the Central one in the 80s, you know, and it was still like people would be at tables and then they'd get up and dance and then they'd go sit back down you know, and it was sort of as the eighties, we got to the mid eighties, then it started to shift, you know, and you'd go in there and there'd be people there, like it was fucking kiss, you know, like, "Ah," you know, (laughs) and, uh, and I think that was the first time I saw that. I think it was mother Lowbone I saw there and I was, you know, I was friends with those guys. And so I went down and to check it out and I was just like, damn, this, they're like rock stars, you know, this is like a rock Mm -hmm. concert, you know? So, so those two places were great places to see a show. That's awesome story. Why I'm going to put you on the spot because you just
1: said you said full stop. Allison Chains was the best band. Now this is your opinion. Why? Why? Elaborate on that. What? What was it about Allison Chains that you saw that elevated them to that category for you?
0: Um, hard to say. You know because I, I I heard about them and you know I was um before I saw them, but it just sort okay. of um gradually it grew to the point there was something about it. F- I got to say, it's with their original bass player, Mike Starr. You know, so those mm-hmm. three guys, when they were bunched together on a small stage, none of them moved very much, but mm-hmm. they just all had this coolness about them. And then the the vocals were so strong and together. And like I said, it's just my opinion, but oh, I have, yeah. but I have oh. really strong feelings about it. And then the also thing that that I will always bring up and that I always remember is that it was Alice and Chains that broke first. You know, mm-hmm. they were the first band, like before Sound Soundgarden was signed, and they were doing okay, but they hadn't had a hit record or anything. And um Nirvana was still a few days off in the future when Alice and Chains got their song um Man in the Box on MTV. They had a video. Oh, that's right? And it was like yeah. Oh, my God. Exactly. You know, like, like the, yeah. you know, where you're from this little cow town and the guy is like the NFL quarterback or something. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, Allison Chains is on MTV. And then they were opening for Van Halen. And it was just like... So I really feel that they, they're they kind of unsung in that regard because I really feel like they their music was... Sure, it was very metal and all that stuff, but it was also different, you know? And I feel like they mm-hmm. really... Deserve credit, in my view, of course, for just sort of opening the door a crack and allowing mm-hmm. Nirvana, especially, to blow it wide open. Because obviously, Nirvana right. deserves all the accolades because they like <clears throat> destroyed the world, you know, and all the, <laughs> all the lead affords in it, you know. Like, but uh, I really feel Alice in Chains deserves some credit for for um, being kind of the vanguard. And then I will say, man, when you're four feet away from a band in a tiny club. There was nothing like Allison Chains. They were just so cool. They were just so cool.
1: I've have shared this story before, and with with Wansley, you know, Allison Chains played a birthday party for him at Bleachers Tavern.
0: Oh wow! In Motley, do you remember Bleacher? Yeah, yeah. What a dump!
1: And and yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, Mike and I when we started talking to musicians on the, on the podcast, Mike did four episodes in a row and we talked about each decade that I've known him. Right. right. And somehow the story in my head was when he turned 30 uh-huh. and he, and it wasn't his 30th. It was like 27, 28, somewhere in there, late twenties. Right. anyway, I, I remember that was the one and only time I ever saw Alice in Chains. Oh wow. And yeah, it was the one and only time. Cause I was, I was working nights at that time and I uh, just, that wasn't it's the only time i got to see them and while i wasn't four feet away from them because i was probably drinking a few tables away type thing well right and bleachers
0: wasn't set up in the same way to corral the stage it was yeah
1: but they were yeah they were really they were they were powerful yeah they were very powerful and that was it was a very interesting show and then um yeah, so that was well. You know, yeah, I it, just-
0: it has to be said that Life Ring Wands' band was very cool too, man. I didn't know Wands at that time, but I'd seen. Um, I knew a, uh, one of the guys in that band, and I saw them once or twice, and they were really cool too. Also, not quite, you know, not like Paisley Sin, but uh, but similar to Paisley Sin and doing something a little bit off the, the accepted. Right. Like, let's be, you know. Right. Well, uh, let's ask this question then. And once
1: again the, the the opinions that are stated here on the show are are those of the guest and not necessarily the host of the podcast. I'm just yes. kidding. <laughs> what So we we obviously when we when we think of the Seattle scene we think of Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Screaming Trees were there.
0: I put Soundgarden is is the last member of the the big 4 is
1: Okay. And then so who who did it make it that would have been like in your opinion? Because there was all so many there was so much talent in in Seattle at that time um and not that there's not talent in Seattle today, but I mean there was just this this concentration, if you will, it seemed like of of doc Martin wearing flannel flannel shirts yeah uh, yeah other jackets
0: yeah, some very very new, very, very brand yeah. new doc Martin's,
1: you know uh. so, <laughs> so who? what other bands were around then that you, that you kind of thought, well, these guys are really kind of cool.
0: Um, well, let's see. I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, there was tons of bands and they're just, you know, that's the, that's the thing with music. And we're especially seeing it now because of the internet. And there's like, you can get the coolest band in Nairobi and you can just rock out to them. And so you realize, and it's humbling and beautiful that there is so much music that is killer. And there are way more, Qualified, talented, extraordinary musicians than there are actual jobs in the music industry for them. You know, like on my block, there's probably dentists and um, optometrists and mailmen who are better at music than I am. They are just—it's like the sixth most important thing in their lives. You know? Okay. So (laughs) instead of the first, wait a
1: second. Wait a second. You're you're saying you would rather like there's people out there that would rather put their hands in people's mouths than play a guitar? I mean, that just seems weird to
0: me. Well, possibly, but, you know, or maybe they just didn't want to take the vow of poverty that, you know, that, uh, Okay, that, yeah, that maybe. we talked about on the phone the other day. But <laughs> no, I just mean that there's so much talent. There's so much incredible musical talent in the world. And I, I say the thing about the dentists and the mailman more as a joke, but it's true. You know, your, your dentist is probably a really good guitar player or probably played in a band, right. you know, or, and if he'd stuck with it, who knows? But so, yeah. Um, let me see. I love the war babies. They did get signed. And then, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, cause they were very, you know, I don't know if they'd appreciate me saying this, but they were a little sunset strippy, you know, and I, I mm-hmm. love that shit, you know, and, and sure. uh, I don't know if I'm, you know, if language no, you're is fine. Okay. You're good. You're Sorry. good. Sorry, kids. Good. <laughs> um, so I really love them. We played with a, a band called Son of Man. That was really cool. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, played with Sweetwater. They, they've they kind of ca- carved out a little cool little niche because they still play around and still play like, uh, you know, they still play pretty big venues and do pretty well. Um, but okay. there was, uh, you know, my sister's machine and and then uh, wow. Gas Huffer, Alcohol Funny Car. I mean, there's Zip Gun. Damn, Zip Gun was one of my favorites. You know, a friend of mine, Robbie Clark, who I grew up with, he was a little younger than me, but, um, you know, Zip Gun was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, so it, you could just stick a thing. I think it definitely is a meritocracy. I think those bands that made it really big deserved it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, since I'm, it's all about my opinions today, I'll just say that I think, I think they, All four of those bands were, in my limited experience of them, were a really nice guys. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I never heard any of them talk shit about another band, or you know, I mean, I I should say Kurt Cobain had some salty things to say, but you know, he was on a lot of drugs, and who knows, you know, but and I didn't really know him personally, and maybe that was just part of his shtick. But like the guys from uh, Pearl Jam, other Love Bone, Alice in Chains. And Soundgarden and, you know, Dave Grohl and um, the bass player for Nirvana and neither of which I didn't know those guys, but never heard him say a, a salty word about another band. Never heard him okay. say any like, oh, those guys suck or, you know, take a shot at them. And then also really hard workers, you know, I mean, a, while a lot of us were like busy, like, you know, figuring out what drink we should drink or how to act like rock stars, they were really working their asses off, I think. You know, so that's my opinion. Right. But out, okay. outside of that, you know, I mean, I think that, um, I think that any any band that kind of made it almost to that level, but didn't quite, it easily could have been. They easily could mm-hmm. have made it big. So, well,
1: it's funny you named some names that I haven't thought of in years, but I still remember when you say it, like you know War Babies, and you know that was oh yeah okay so
0: yeah and the Gits. You know, a lot of people will bring up the Gits, but the Gits were really good. They were mm-hmm. really phenomenal. And I don't know if they had what it takes to make it or whatever, you know, whatever it was, but, right. but, uh, you know, of course that was derailed by some serious tragedy, but they easily could have been something, you know? So there's another great band I'll tell you. And I don't know how, I don't know if they came, I think they came a little late, but my, I've come to, you know, my favorite Seattle band of all time is the super suckers, you know? Okay. And, uh, I just love them. I mean, they're, and then they're still out there like playing, you know, like putting out new records and, and touring and, you know, like n- nothing is, uh, you know, so those are the bands I love the most. The ones that are just still out there rocking it, you Good know, time. on whatever level, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I could say the same of Pearl Jam. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of them or their music, but I, my brother did take me to one of their concerts once they were huge and they mm-hmm. were undeniably awesome. You know, just as like yeah. an objective ob- observer saying, wow, let's see how these guys are at what they do. Incredible, you know, just incredible right. professionals. You know.
1: Well, and I think you've, you've nailed on, t- t- you've nailed two things. Number one is there's, there's not enough seats at the table for everyone to be successful yeah, in the industry. And number two, I think you create your own luck. If, if those guys were out there practicing their craft and working it every day versus like you said. Figuring out what cocktail have or how to look like a rock star. They were actually out there working. Um,
0: yeah, not to disparage anybody. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm more no, no. speaking about myself. I think that I could have worked harder and focused sure. less on bullshit. But, but anyway, please go ahead. But, but it's the it's that intersection where where talent and luck intersect. Absolutely, and work
1: and it and hard yeah.
0: freaking work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and putting yourself out there and and getting lucky. I mean, let's let's call it that. I mean, I don't, I'm not disparaging anybody in any any industry, whether it be, you know, food, music, sports. There's a lot of talented people out there that, yeah, just just, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't win the lottery. Right, right. Because you're six foot, you're six foot eight, and you can you can you can dunk a basketball while sitting on the ground doesn't mean you're going to play in the NBA and make millions. Right. Of dollars, right. You know,
0: so well, right, all that, right. Cause you've got to be uh, you've got to wait till like the best defensive player from the state next to you is guarding you. And then we'll see whether you can right. still dunk the ball and, you know, right. And whether somebody sees it when you do it, you know, whether someone is there to see it, you know, when light, right. when lightning finally strikes.
1: Exactly. You know, if you, if you're doing this in a, in a dingy gym in the middle of nowhere with ESPN, nowhere around, yeah. Okay. Sure. Right. But if you're doing it, if you're doing it anyway, we can go down that rabbit hole, but let's not. Yeah, so yeah. let's, let's, let's just, just, okay. So we've kind of reminisced now let's, let's bring it into, into present day. Sure. We'd be, we'd be the elephant in the room is COVID. Yeah. She totally screwed up everybody's life for, for um, in the arts, in the restaurant business. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're kind of coming out of that. I think we're adapting to it. It's the new our whatever our new quote unquote normal is going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been out, you know, seeing some shows and, and have been playing, okay. playing again since uh, June, you know, I had a really busy summer and, um, okay, yeah.
1: So how did this summer go? Let's talk about the summer for you. Let, how, well, I, how was summer 21 versus summer
0: 19? Um, Summer 21 was great. I, I was, I would say, you know, like we said, like I said, we were adapting. So it was definitely some different things going on, but uh, yeah, busy. I was, I was playing, you know, every weekend and, you know, sometimes during the week and uh, you know, traveling a lot. I was all over Washington state and, you know, Spokane and uh, out to the coast. And we did a, I'm in a group called the fiasco. And so I was with them a lot and we, uh, we did a, a swing through Idaho, which was very quite an adventure with COVID and everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, I, I, we spoke on the phone the other day and I told you it was another world over there. I mean, I was right. like, you know, I'd be in the Safeway, and I'm the only person wearing a mask. And uh, right. you know, one Saturday morning and I came around a corner, I'm there to get some bacon or I don't know, a banana or something. And I've got my mask on and I come around the corner and this nice lady, she, comes around the other corner it was like i had a bloody knife in my hand i mean she was just like <gasps> you know i mean i scared her i guess i don't know with my mask and my desire to live you know through through this <laughs> global pandemic i don't know what but you know the shows were the shows you know and it was just great we had great shows over there and and uh, so yeah so summer 21 was was just fine
1: so Earlier in the episode, you mentioned the Rubber Stewart Band. You go, yeah, we put a lot of name, you know, effort into that name being being facetious. But I have to say, the fiasco is a great
0: name. Yeah, well, that that kind of happened. Thank you. That happened kind of organically. I have to say that it's not. Um, you know, we formed in two thousand and two, and that was before it occurred to me that you could like Google names to see whether there's, you know. Uh, <laughs> a hundred other bands like that, which there are, you know, and, but, but we've definitely carved out a niche for ourselves in Washington and Oregon and in our area so that we, uh, we seem to come up, but you know, like there's, and I've seen since we've been doing it, I've seen bands, you know, a little punk band in England called the fiasco or a Boston group of college students or, you know, some fiascos pop up, but uh, you know, thank you for the, for at least liking it. So. It kind of came. The name came naturally because, um, so 2002, I'm playing every Tuesday night at this place called the Paragon on Queen Anne, which doesn't exist anymore. It was owned by this great guy named Todd Ivester, who uh, who let me play up there. I think actually my girlfriend, who's now my wife, probably got me the gig or something. But uh, I was playing up there, and I was just totally done with bands, and you know, kind of going through one of my you know intermittent life crises. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna play by myself. And so I was up there playing my songs, throwing in some old soul covers, you know, from the kind of RB bands I was playing in. And uh so the first thing was um I was playing New Year's Eve with this guy that I this bartender at the club I played that New Year's Eve. I never really got along with him that well. And then I and then we finally we were smoking dope on a break. And then I talked to him for the first time and he turned out he was a musician. So that was why he wasn't like, jumping up and down to get me my drinks really fast, which was why I didn't like him. You know, he was just treating me like all the other customers. Oh my God, how dare he, you know? (laughs) But uh, anyway, then we we finally ended up talking and we were getting along and he says, oh, I play this, I play a djembe drum. And I was like, I was drunk. I was like, oh dude, I play on Tuesdays, you should come by and sit in, you know? And I wasn't serious. I was drunk, you know? And so then he shows up, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, oh Jesus, you know?
1: What am I gonna do I'm with like, this? Okay, like, come on, come on, let's
0: play. And then he was awesome, you know, and it was just like incredible. I was like, dude, dude, you gotta come back. I'll pay you. Just come back next week. And so never rehearsed with the guy. He was just on it. The next week he came back, he remembered everything from the week before. And um, and so then we were building it as me and him, Robert Stewart and Cameron Williams. And then uh this guy, uh, you know, the Paragon was had a really cool scene, Brandy Carlisle, who I'm sure you've heard of. I um, okay. was playing every Sunday when I was playing there on Tuesdays. And she had a guitar player with her at the time named Keith Wright. And he would come in on Tuesdays and drink and uh, listen to us. And then he started sitting in, you know, and he was awesome, too. And I was like, wow, well, you should start coming every week. We'll pay you, too. And so then we needed a band for the a name for this trio that had kind of formed organically. And uh, it seemed like a big mess. So we called it the fiasco. First, it was the Robert Stewart fiasco, and then it just, you know, it it became a fiasco out of respect and deference to their contributions, shall I say? Okay,
1: that's that's. See, the, I love listening to these stories. I I love hearing, you know, how you know the the how you are breaking eggs to make the omelet type thing. I yeah. I just think it's you know because when you sit in the stands, you know, or the at the at the table at the restaurant or whatever, you, you know, you're there to enjoy. Enjoy the music, right? But there's so much more to what the music is than just that performance. Right? How how on earth did you get to that stage? Yeah. What's what what path? You know, where did you make the wrong turn to end up there, (laughs) or you know, or or the right turn to end up there? Right. And it's 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 interesting because we. this last weekend, uh, this is the first time ever since we've lived in Wenatchee, we had conflicting musical events to attend at the same time. It was, it was, you know, we had an embarrassment of riches over here for us. And uh, so we got to, you know, luckily one, one performer was playing early and the other performer was playing a little later. So we got to see the most of the early show and most of the later show. It was kind of fun. You
0: mentioned a friend was playing a winery out there. Is that, was that one of them or? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, one of them, a friend of ours. And then, do you know
0: Steve Allament? I don't know if I do. It sounds familiar. Played in A I L, played M E N T. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I don't, I don't know in, him, but I've heard that name. So he
1: played in a band with Wansley called the Fighting Cox. Oh, of course. Of course. With, with, with Steve Pearson. Yeah. And, the, and then, Rain Shits, Rain Shits, uh, guys. Yeah. And he played in the Hoods, but he also played in a band out of San Francisco called the Yanks.
0: Okay. I think I've heard of that too.
1: Yeah. And so so, Steve. And then um Annie O'Neill,
0: I know that name as Bart well. Hyde yeah.
1: and, and Bart Hyde. Um uh, they played at this cider cidery over here um Friday evening. And then another friend of ours, uh, Jessica Linwiddie was playing at this winery before that. Speaking of so you were saying earlier how like the dentist down the street's a better musician than you.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm I, I, just here's an example of that. So we're at this little winery here in East Wenatchee in jessica's playing and, and she's wonderful it's she's she's a great performer and we enjoy enjoy seeing her and i don't know because of the way the venue was set up because it was raining and all that we weren't really in a great place to see what was going on all i know then all of a sudden is this this other woman is up on standing next to jessica's singing she was from the crowd right I, I, and this woman had a phenomenal voice not no disrespect to jessica but i think everyone was like Oh my god, where did this person come from? Right. You know, oh, else, can I sing a song? Right. Sure, come <laughs> right. on up, you know. Thinking like your like your your drummer guy going, "Oh, okay." But then you're like, "Wow, he's amazing." Right. So it's just interesting to to hear your stories, hear hear the artists' stories about how they how they how, how does the band come together, you know, and the journey of, that you're on. It's it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and I think So the fiasco Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Let me ask you this about the fiasco because I didn't do my research. So you know, if I'm asking a stupid question, well, we can laugh. Yeah, at sure. Are the are the original guys still in the band or is it evolved?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, there is no there is no other guys. There's there would not ever be any other guys. You okay. know, in fact, the Robert Stewart band was, um, you know, the guitar player had gotten a deal with one of his other groups. He's in a group called Point One. They got a deal. and He was on the road and left the group for a while. And so the drummer mm-hmm. and I um coddled together the what became the robert stewart band um it was cameron from the fiasco but um Mm -hmm. there was no way we could you know some people go oh is this the fiasco and we are like no this is not you know there's just no um yeah you can't yeah so because we've never rehearsed the fiasco we're still playing we played all summer this year and and um we've got a new record coming out but we've never rehearsed you know and so uh yeah. I mean, we would play every Tuesday night live and that's how we would like, you know, I'd come in and uh, uh, with a song I wrote and, you know, within a four or five Tuesdays, we would have it, you know, it would evolve into the song that it was going to be. But, uh, you know, oh, wow. no, like, oh, let's try it again or anything. We would just play it once. And, you know, amazing COVID, of course, shut us down. And so we did not play together or even really see each other from... Um, We played February 29th, 2020 at Slims. And then COVID hit. And then we didn't get together on June 1st, 2021. We booked some studio time, went into uh, um, London Bridge and, uh, and cut a record, you know. And we hadn't seen each other in all that time, really. Yeah, I guess we did. Okay. We did get together and kind of did a walkthrough, but it's it's not really, a, you know. Yeah, we did a walkthrough the like the weekend before the the session at London Bridge. You know, and so we've gone How it- eight nine months without seeing each other, and we just pick up and play and no problem. Um, mostly c- a credit to them. You know, like I have the easy job because I get to just do whatever I want. You know, so my job is to know what I want to do and exactly how I want to do it and know where we're going to go and think of the next song that we're going to play because we don't do any set lists or anything. So that's my job. But they just listen to me and play live in real time, in key, for the most part, um, pretty good. How on earth do you pull that off? Um, Like I said, I mean, I think that it's a really rare thing. I mean, I think they both have really good. They have great ears you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, they just, um, the guitar player, Keith Wright, especially has great, um, knowledge of the fretboard and, and theory and modes, you know, which none of that do I understand. I don't know what a mode is, but I know he knows what it is. And it means that he knows what the right notes are up up and down the keyboard. So I think it's, it's, that's to his credit. And then, um, The drummer Cameron Williams just has a really intuitive sense and a great memory of, of, um, Oh, that's, that's what I did last week. Um, that'll work. That'll work this week, even though I never talked to him about it, never said, Oh, I'd like it to be like this. Um, so yeah, it's mostly a credit to them. I mean, they can plug in, those two guys can plug in any singer songwriter guy like me and do an assemblance of, of, uh, of their thing that they do with me, you know, they're, but it's very unique to them as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I have tried to, um, you know, one really good friend of mine who's, who's, who I work with a lot and is, is um, one of my partners now in a, in a, in a couple projects, you know, um, I had him come and sit in with me and Cameron one night and, and afterwards he just said, man, I just felt dragged around, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, like a, like a, yeah, just dragged around, not, and it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun for him, you know, so.
1: It wasn't fun for him, but the, the three of you together is. Yeah. It's like some it's like somebody who cooks without a recipe.
0: Right. Yeah. It just works, you know, and I can lay, I can lay new stuff on them. I mean, I have to, I have to be thinking in terms of, I mean, I can't go, okay, I'm going to do this song. And then in the middle, it goes to this five, seven, you know, <laughs> I can't do anything too weird. Because it has okay. to, it has to happen in, in live, you know. But but if there mm-hmm. are some weird things, I can pull Keith aside and say, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing and, and and meet me here," and then uh, Cameron will get it. You know, I don't, we don't need to talk to him about it. You know, or I can just give. <laughs> I can just he'll he'll just get it, or I can just give him a little. You know, there we're you know we've been doing it for almost 20 years now, so it's really synced up. Like a little hand gesture, a little thing like that. You know, a little you know. Here I'm
1: looking at the, I don't know what I'm doing with the camera, but. It's okay. So it, it, remember, this is just an audio format. You know, we could that's, that's half the fun of it for us. So thus like, is we're like making, you're, you're making gestures yeah. and I'm looking at other things and we're like. oh, yeah, I was
0: making u- so, useless, indiscernible gestures for the audience. That's home, okay. So
1: there go. It, it it helps convince it, it, but you know what? It adds to the, it adds to the, the impact of the story. Right. It really does. Because if you were just sitting here, just, you know well and then we did a b and c it'd be kind of kind of boring but right. you're you're injecting a lot of you know energy right well let me ask you then it's now fall at the time we're recording this you know fall 2021 yeah what's what's the future looking like
0: um well i'm kind of i've shifted gears the fiasco is um we're probably going to play we're waiting for our record we've all the basics are done and i think keith has some guitar tracks he still has to do and then you know people's different schedules intervene, and so um, fiasco's on sort of a little, not necessarily a, a intentional hiatus, but we're we're taking a couple months, and we'll probably get back. You know we travel a lot, so we don't do a lot in the winter time, in that regard. Mm-hmm. We'll probably play once or twice um, over this stretch in Seattle, I would think, and then if there's okay. a, a town that we can get to without having to drive through too much snow, we may do that. Um, for me, I just finished a new solo record. So I'm going to, um, I'm just sort of getting all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and all that stuff. and going to try to do a little radio campaign, get some CDs sent out and uh, plan a CD release show somewhere mm-hmm. in Seattle. I haven't really picked the venue and, um, yeah, so I'm going to focus on that. And then I've got a, you know, I do a residency up in Mukilteo the first Saturday of every, every month. And, um, so that's sort of just my home base kind of keep me on you know so where what where in Mucotillo? It's this little uh, cocktail bar called bits it's on um i don't know lakeview point boulevard northeast or something like that but but uh <laughs> i don't know but it's called bits it's a um really good old friend of mine um not an old person but someone i've known a long time named tracy mcfarland runs it and and uh yeah so she's kind enough to let me play there and uh, Keith, okay. Keith usually plays with me up there on, uh, um, but I don't know whether he's, uh, you know, like I said, schedules intervene. So he, I think I may be doing this next one, November 6th, without him, but I don't know. So I do that every, uh, we can then play little things that come up. Um, you know, uh, I played recently at Drunkies Two Shoes Barbecue, which is a place I hadn't heard of, but was awesome. Out in like the South End, Burien open isn't that white center yeah white center and it's i just once again somebody
1: very creative came up with the name
0: yeah or yes or somebody <laughs> from uh another part of the the country it definitely reminds me of um sort of austin it's uh you know austin texas maybe or not so, so much new orleans but it has it's killer barbecue they've got an indoor area but the the outside is where the shows are so they've got a big okay. covered area that, uh, they have misters in the summertime. That's, that's, it was still warm when I played there, but I guess they have heaters now. And so they're having shows all through the winter. And so, um, Oh, that was a really great okay. venue to play. I was, I opened for this friend of mine, Grace Love, who's a phenomenal singer. And, uh, so yeah, so I don't know where I'm going to do my, I'm going to just kind of scout some venues and figure out where I'm going to, where, uh, I will be allowed to, and where I want to do my, uh, my CD release. And that's, that's the main thing I got going in the next uh, up, weeks. Up,
1: approximately. When do you think that'll come out?
0: Um, well, it's out now. My, my, my record is out. It's called spring 21, me, my dog and a beer. And um, okay. you can get it on, uh on, you know, it's out on Spotify, uh, YouTube, iTunes, Apple, and then it's, it's making its way to the, you know, to the more outlying, um you know, I've just got to notice that it's, available on Deezer. I don't know what Deezer is, but you know, there's, there's this long list of, of places that my distributor sends it out to, and I don't know very, mm-hmm. very much about most of them. But the, the main ones that, that people are familiar with, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, it's already out. And then, of course, Bandcamp is the one that I kind of am, am super high on because you can go there, you can listen, you can download, you can pay if you want to, but you don't have to you don't have to join like with Spotify or Apple or anything and yeah right. so it's out there and then um CDs I'm 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 uh I'm getting ready to order the CDs and I'm pretty fast turnaround so once I have the CDs in hand then I'll be ready to do uh to do this the launch yeah the launch show the big okay. CD release okay.
1: sorry the so what do you do when you're not doing music
0: um well I uh I've got some young kids. I've got four kids. Like I said, I've got, um, two older kids who are out of the house and then my wife and I have, uh, daughters, 13 and almost 10. My daughter Tallulah is going to be 10 on November 5th. And so, uh, you know, during the day I'm just sort of on duty, you know, soccer, dad, uh, you know, make a sandwich, you know, load a dishwasher.
1: Right. You know, um, uh- are you a coffee? Are you, do you? Are you a fan of coffee?
0: I am. I am. I love coffee, but but mostly at this point, mostly is just a drug that is awesome. You know, I love caffeine, <laughs> so I can't. You know, I used to be drinking coffee all day, but it's just sort of, you know, I, I don't do that anymore. But uh, you know, I really like I really like a dose of that particular substance. You know, every day. Uh,
1: any any good uh, any good coffee dealers
0: in your area that you recommend? Um. Let's see. Um, no, I mean, I mostly get it at home, but there are some there are some coffee shops left, but uh, but nothing that I can speak intens- intelligently about. Okay, um, all right. I've got a, a friend of mine. My friend Rick works for Cafe Vita. I, I think he still works for them. So he kind of, you know, I could go and check his feed because he's always delivering to some cool coffee shop that's not Starbucks and uh, and gotcha. could be recommended. So. So I'd have to do cafe Vita is quite, quite good. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, I think they're more just, I guess they do have coffee shops of their own, but they also supply to different places. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm spacing on the names. I would, I would plug a shop or two, but I can't. That's okay. But I will say that Starbucks, you know, betrayed us and the owner of Starbucks had a huge tantrum and that's why the Seattle supersonics are in fucking Oklahoma city. So if you want to fucking boycott Starbucks, please do. More in my opinion sorry
1: no it's it's all good uh I was devastating to see that happen
0: yeah yeah and it was, uh, yeah it just it was, it was a, a complete case of uh, a billionaire malfeasance you know I mean you know I, a tantrum I he had a tantrum with- he had a tantrum of yeah. control and he did like any of us you know when we were in our like I must control things and I will get revenge upon you you know we all do that but most of us mm-hmm. don't have you know so much collateral damage that comes with the tantrum, you know. We maybe right. get shunned by I our was, friends. We have to apologize. or I was so drunk. That you know, this guy, like, you know, any I,
1: he, I, he 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 ripped the soul out of Seattle. Right. They weren't the first sports franchise here because the you know the uh, the the Pilots, you know, but right.
0: Thank you. I went to a Pilots game. Were, I went to a Pilots game. Oh my at gosh! Sixth Stadium. Okay, but anyway, sorry, but
1: but pilots were only here for one year. Yeah, You're right. The Sonics, the Sonics were 41 years. Yeah. They were more to me, more woven into the fabric of Seattle than the Seahawks or the Mariners. Now the Seahawks are obviously more popular. Now
0: they are. The
1: Mariners are. Yeah. And the Mariners are, well, they're the redheaded stepchildren of professional sports, Well,
0: but they got to work on that. They got to be better. But,
1: but, the Sonics were, yeah, that just, that really hurt when he did that last. I don't know where I was looking online either this morning or last night. And I was looking at some stuff about the saddle cracking, Yeah, and they had a cardboard cutout of the Sonics guy. I can't remember his name. You know who I'm talking yeah. about? The, 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 the And it was a, almost like a life-size cutout in front of climate pledge arena that says, with a little thing that says, bring them back yeah, and he's where he's wearing Sonic gear. I thought that was, you know, I, I hope that that arena is a viable venue for them yeah, to, for, for a team to come back at some point. Maybe I, I stopped watching the NBA um, when the Sonics left.
0: Yeah. I stopped. Yeah. You know, couldn't watch it. I'm hoping that the, the, the new arena is a harbinger and, and, you know, when the Sonics do come back and I, I feel like they will, um, i I'll be happy to like bury any blood feud that came out of that, you know, once we're made whole. But we will also have to say that we in Seattle can will be able to be proud of ourselves for being the vanguard of this movement, because now more and more um, billionaire team owners are just building their own damn stadiums, you know. I mean, the NBA is, the model for the NBA is insane. I mean, the city of Indianapolis, the taxpayers of that town pay billions to the Pacers. In cash, subsidies, not Mm -hmm. tax breaks, cash, like $11 billion a year. I may have the numbers wrong, but all these little markets that shouldn't have teams, you know, and the the same thing Mm -hmm. the NBA was trying to do to us. Oh, we're leaving if you don't pay. And we're like, we're not paying. You know, we hadn't, we had not even finished, Anyway, I don't want to get into politics, but
1: no, but the, the professional sports is a is a very um, polarizing business model,
0: right? Well, and anyway, the point I want to make is that more and more, more and more cities are saying no, you have to pay for it yourself, and more and more owners are doing that. And mm-hmm. Seattle, once we get our team back, we will be able to say, well, it cost us these years of basketball mm-hmm. enjoyment. But we did it for the right reason and we did it and we changed the landscape, you know, for the better, I think. Yeah. So. Okay.
1: Right. There we go. <laughs> blah. Music and sports. Blah, blah,
0: blah. Music and sports
1: in this right. episode. No, I love it. I love it. No, it's all yeah. good. I'll, what question didn't I ask you that I should have?
0: Um, gosh, I don't know.
1: I don't know. Um, I'll put you on the spot. you're current in today's world where's a great venue to play at for you? Um, I mean, you mentioned Drunky Two Shoes, which I mean, just for the name alone, sounds like a great venue to play.
0: I would say, I would say in recent years, my favorite place to play has been the tractor. Um, okay. Just a great destination venue. Um, totally professional bartenders, totally professional sound people, um, totally professional proprietors and bookers and, you know, and have just had great, wonderful nights there. Um, the fiasco was fortunate enough to play at the Paramount, you know, which oh, is wow. certainly okay. not something like, well, I was just at the Paramount the other night. I mean, it was a big deal <laughs> for us. And we played there under really bizarre circumstances, but that was incredible. You know, the crew there, okay. um, it was just unbelievable. I mean, to, you know, the best part of playing at the Paramount was the sound check, you know, to just have oh, really? this army of absolute professionals not only asking you what you need, but immediately knowing what you're talking about and giving you everything that you need and amazing. So, and then, and the Paramount's not alone. The Moore is a great theater, but I haven't played there, but I assume that it's amazing. And, uh, you know, but I would say in terms of, of places that are accessible that I, that I have played and, and hope to play again, I think the tractor is my favorite in Seattle right now.
1: Well, I'm going to put you on the last question. I'm gonna put you on the spot you just said accessible. So you're kind of, you ruined my setup, but where do you want to play that you've never played? What, what, what would be a venue like for you? You're like, wow, this is amazing.
0: Well, I guess it, it doesn't have to do with where and as much as, um, circumstance, you know, like right now I'm really invested. I've been making, um, solo records, you know, a product of COVID actually, because, um, You know, I was put out of work by COVID like everyone else in in the restaurant Mm -hmm. and bar business, you know, Um, singers and bartenders and caterers and all of us were out of work. But then also I had songs stored up and my method had been to like record on a tape recorder and like little demos. Oh, that's kind of cool. And work it up in my mind and then go into a studio on a given day and record. Mm -hmm. And so I was ready to do that again and called up my friend Rick Vaughn, who I've worked with. And continue to work with and i said dude where can i record and he goes look man nowhere you can't record anywhere and by the way you shouldn't even be hiring guys like me just buy these three items and uh and just leave us alone and you should record by yourself so <laughs> leave us alone. yeah so he told me the, what to get i got a focus right transmission box or something that i plug into my computer i got a couple good mics you know so for A few hundred bucks, man. I set up this, I got pro tools and, uh, uh, yeah. So I've been, you know, I've made like four records since COVID, you know, different projects, but two solo records. I did summer one in the summer of 2020, what called summer 20. And, uh, Uh and that one's been out since probably like new year's Christmas time. Um, okay. And then I've got the summer 21. So I'm really, um, amped about just playing solo and, uh, you know, continuing to work with all the bands that I'm fortunate enough to be in, but but really jazzed about just the freedom of playing by myself and doing my own thing. So I guess the the answer to your question would be just I I'm I'm working towards trying to to get to a point where I'm playing larger and larger places, not too large, but but places where people are really there, dedicated to to hearing me. And you know, the the cliche, you know, I'd I'd love to just be in in rooms where where you can hear a pin drop, you know, mm-hmm. and um, people want to know all about, you know, what my, my silly poem that I put to music is all about. So
1: what, what, what your, what was the muse for this song? Oh, right. Or just, or just
0: listening and, and digging what, um what I'm doing, you know, in a, you know, in, in a real. Okay. So that's my thing. I mean, I went, saw Andre Segovia. You remember that guy? Classical guitar, dude. Um, yeah. So I went and, I I went and saw that. him in the old opera house. Like, 30, 30 years ago. So it was probably four years ago. I, no, 30, <laughs> 30 years ago or something. A long time ago. But anyway, he yesterday, right, He got up there and played no amp, no mic, no nothing, man. I mean, 2,000 people. I don't know how many people were there. 5,000, whatever, man. We were all there. And he's just playing a classic guitar, classical guitar, just nothing. No mic, no no amp. You know? Wow. I mean, I remember I had like... <clears throat> like a cough or a sneeze or something i had to get up and you know because i was afraid i was going to just get stoned to death if i sneezed i mean but so i don't need that i don't need that kind of observance from the audience but you know but i'd okay. love to just be uh i'd love to just take this solo thing of mine to to some heights not yet reached i guess i'd say
1: all right well listen, I appreciate you jumping on and having this conversation with me and and I've enjoyed it. I've I've you dropped some names I haven't heard in a while, which is I love doing this cuz I just like, oh yeah, so and so or oh yeah, yeah, there. So that's been awesome. So hopefully, you know, you've you've had a good
0: time. I have and I've, I just I've, appreciate you being yeah, here. Yeah, I had. I've, I've had a lovely time, man. So I really appreciate it. Hey, could I um just plug my website or something make this up? A- oh, uh, well, we'll
1: before you plug it, let me just say, we will put it in the show notes below so people can click on okay, it. Okay. Well, please. good. That's all Dude. I want.
0: That just plug. makes it tax deductible for me, you know, so I can. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. So you <laughs> can go to robertstuartmusic.com. Also robertjamesstuart.com. I should say, you know, like I, I finally added the James to my name just cause there's a lot of Robert Stewart's, you know, there's, you know, sure. So uh, Robert James Stewart, apparently like you can just pull me right up if i use my whole name so robertjamesstuart.com or robertstuartmusic.com and i guess that's a good jump off point people can like go to anywhere else they want to find me from there so
1: perfect i all right well hey thank you so hey, much thank you